the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. And also by one of the attorneys in our office, Justin Daly. Hi, Mr. Connors. You don't sound too enthusiastic about that. <laughs> There's one, a Justin. crowd out there. I'm very it's enthusiastic. Our Hello, Hello to our listeners, listeners as well. You okay, you awake out there? Oh, I'm, I'm awake. Wake them up. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. I'm doing my best. Okay, so for those of you, you know, listening to the show for the first time, the first part of the show we talk about estate planning and elder law, and the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about about history. We're going to be talking about the real horse soldiers. And and Beth, can you explain what we mean by the real horse soldiers? Well, as many of you have already heard, I had ancient uncles who were part of Grierson's raid, the real Grierson's raid, not the John Wayne, John Ford facsimile, but... um, Grierson had to cut through. He he was going through Confederate lines from LaGrange, Tennessee, and they ended up getting to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And the whole point was to draw um, Confederates away from Vicksburg because this was going to be Grant's second attempt at 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 getting at getting Vicksburg, and um, it. It was actually a near miraculous trip for Grierson because he lost very few men and much had to do with people like my my ancient uncles because they were Confederate soldiers who had who were helping the Union soldiers get through Mississippi without being caught. So they would go into towns and misdirect. They would say, someone would say, well, did, we thought they were Yankees in the area. And they go, yes, yes, we saw them. They're, they're headed toward Alabama. Well, of course, they weren't. They were going, they were headed to Louisiana. But um, that's one of the things, the real story maybe is, is more interesting than Hollywood's. All right, so to hear the real story, we're going to have Tim Smith about the real horse soldiers. And, of course, he's he's making reference to the great John Ford, John Wayne, William Holden movie, which Constance Towers 
was on our show, the, the female lead, about that raid from LaGrange, Tennessee to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which covered roughly 1,200 miles back then. And those 1,000 men in that raid, they only lost three um, three men uh, in a 1,200-mile ride right through the state of Mississippi, a little bit of Tennessee, all of Mississippi, and some of Louisiana. And it's really one of the great raids in Civil War history. And we're going to be talking about that at the Civil War Roundtable, you know, next month on April 8th, Tim Smith, the Real Horse Soldiers, 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street, 51st Street and 5th Avenue, doors open at 5.30. The cost for non-members, three-course meal is $60. For a member, it's $50. We're going to start roughly at about 6 o'clock talking about the Real Horse Soldiers. Now, we're also going to be talking to a friend of ours with the Knights of Columbus, Anthony Monopoly. And, and he manages a lot of the assets for the, the Knights of Columbus. We're going to talk about them. And of course, uh, Justin, I don't know if you heard the Knights of Columbus is now a controversial organization. Uh, I would highly disagree with that, but okay. you never know any anymore these days. Well, there, there are a couple of senators out there that say that if you belong to the Knights of Columbus, you can't be a good judge because you're not able to make objective decisions about subjects such as gay marriage or abortion. Well, I guess standards for being a senator have really been lowered. (laughs) I agree with you on that one. Now, you know, obviously you've been working in our office a few years now. What issue comes into your mind that we think we should talk about today? I think the biggest issue for me that um, it always shocks me is that people don't realize that uh, how available Medicaid is for uh, the middle class person. Uh, On and on, people come in and they say, I'm going to have to lose my house or I'm going to have this small bank account, Uh, you know, the savings that I've, you know, scripted and saved for uh, for my entire life. I have only maybe $100,000 and it's all just going to go to medical bills when there are things that we can do to help preserve those assets, especially the primary residents, that family uh, dynasty. That is a very good point. And there are a lot of, especially for home care, a lot of people don't realize what benefits, what services are out there as far as home care Medicaid is concerned. And listen, in New York, and I hear this every day, you know, people don't realize what is available. In New York, if you're over 65 and disabled, you put all your assets in an irrevocable trust today, the next month, the first day of the month following the transfer, you can apply for home care Medicaid to pay for home equipment, supplies, home attendance to keep you out of a nursing home, to keep you into your home. There's no look-back period for home care Medicaid. You're able to keep all your assets. Now, if you apply for nursing home Medicaid, we have what we call a five-year look-back period, which means you have to document all your transactions for five years prior to your application for benefits. There are a lot of exceptions on that. If you have a child living in the house, we can protect the house. If you have a spouse living in the house, obviously, we can protect the house. If you have a disabled child, even if the disabled child doesn't live in the house, we can protect the house. If you have a brother or sister who's been living in the same house with you for one or more years, we can protect the house. So there are a lot of things we can do about the house, and we can, we can always do what we call an intent to return home. Most of the time, we, we can save the house. Sometimes we have to do some work. Sometimes it's easy. We have a child living in the house. But if you're in one of these crisis situations, get the right advice. Because again, the lack of information out there is astounding. Justin, how many times when you're talking to people do you find that out? All the time, unfortunately. It's uh, it's sad how often of an occurrence it is where people are getting either it's they, they're getting the wrong advice from social workers or just from friends. Unfortunately, people listen too much to their friends rather than trying to consult a professional. Yeah, I just spoke to a woman the other day. She had about $2,000 a month income. She had a, apparently a relatively new social worker handling her case. And she said, well, you're going to have to spend, you're going to have to pay Medicaid $1,000 a month. 
you know, and, and this woman was not from this country. Her English was not too good. And of course, if somebody tells her that, she kind of accepts it. But she did come into our office to talk about it. And we called up the social worker and says, why can't we do a pooled income trust? And the social worker said, I never heard of a pooled income trust. Yeah, it's it's very sad and it's very difficult that uh, there's a lot of misinformation and bad information out there. Now, let me explain the pooled income trust. Let's say you're applying for Medicaid. Again, you're over 65, you're disabled, you have, let's say, $2,000 a month income. Technically, according to the Medicaid rules in New York, you're not eligible for home care Medicaid because your income is too high. But what we can do in this case, and I'm going to just round the numbers very, very slightly, we can put $1,100 a month into a pooled income trust, and then you are eligible for Medicaid. Now, what's a pooled income trust? It's kind of like a checking account, but it's managed by a not-for-profit. So you put $1,100 in the pooled income trust. That $1,100 is then to pay your rent. If you own a house, that's great. It pays your real estate tax is the insurance, gas, electric, whatever. And, and it's kind of like a checking account. You use the money each month. And it sounds complicated sometimes when you get it started. But once you got it moving, it's pretty easy. You send the pooled income trust $1,100 a month. Then in this case, if you have about $2,000 a month income, and they pay your bills out of that $1,100 a month. And of course, usually the biggest bill is going to be your rent or the expenses of your house. And we can save those. And somebody says, well, what if I have $5,000 a month? Yes, we can do the same thing, except out of the five thousand a month, we have to spend four thousand dollars each month. Again, if you're if you're in the middle class and you're in a crisis situation, look at home care Medicaid. There is no look back period for home care Medicaid. You put your assets in an irrevocable trust one month. You can apply for home care Medicaid on the first day of the month following the transfer. Yeah, I mean, I would just like to state one thing: is that these mechanisms are in place to help people. You know, the the government, although they're very tough and they're very oppressive on many things. These things are here to, you know, to be able to help people preserve their assets because there's just not enough government beds, you know, in these nursing homes. They need people to stay at home, and these rules are in place, and we're here to help people uh, take advantage of them. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Here I am. And Justin Daly. Hi, everyone. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, April 9th at the Greenhouse Cafe, 7717 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. at Buckley's 2926 Avenue S in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn on Wednesday. Wednesday, April 10th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. And at the Montauk Club, 25 8th Avenue in Park Slope, Brooklyn, on Thursday, April 11th at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718 718- 718-238-6500. That's Connors and Sullivan. 718-238-6500. Or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors and Sullivan. Plan now for later. 
Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, on our Connor's Corner segment. Right now, we're very pleased to have Anthony Monopoly, who works for the Knights of Columbus. And exactly what do you do with the Knights, Tony? I am the chief investment officer for the life insurance business. So we have about $110 billion of life insurance in force that we sell to our members and their families. And then I also manage Knights of Columbus Asset Advisors, which is our our business where we manage third-party capital, uh, mainly for Catholic diocese and and, uh, other Catholic institutions, as well as some individuals as well. When I was growing up, the Knights of Columbus was always an esteemed organization, respected organization. But right now, certain senators think it's an extreme organization. Why is that? I, I always get a chuckle because one of the things that we pride ourselves on at the Knights of Columbus is that we don't create Catholic doctrine, so we don't come out and make pronouncements. We, we basically follow the teachings of the Church and the teachings of the Pope and the teachings of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. So you're never going to see the Knights come out with a pronouncement that is opposite of of what's being said in the Vatican. And, and I oftentimes, tongue-in-cheek, will say when people say about positions of the Knights, will say, if you have an issue with our positions, you might want to fly to Rome, go to the Vatican, find the guy in the white suit, and check in with him, because the beliefs that we have and the things that we hold forth are the things that are, are you know, basic down the middle of the fairway teachings of the Catholic Church. So I think the short answer is, I, I think the issues they have are with, with the Church, um, and I would say our bigger end we're not the ones that are creating that doctrine. Well, basically, they were complaining that if a person was a member of the Knights of Columbus as a judicial nominee, as a judge, that would interfere with his or her ability to decide on issues of same-sex marriage and abortion. Yeah, and I think, again, those are those are issues that we follow the teachings of the Church, and I think what uh, they were trying to put on is that uh, I think it's even a bigger front to the Catholic Church, it's not, or to Catholics in the United States. It's not whether you're a member of the Knights of Columbus, it's suddenly, you know, if, if you hold these beliefs as your religious beliefs, that somehow you're unfit to, to serve in public office. So, you know, I think we always fall back on, we're not creating the rules, we're, we're merely following the things that the, that the Church teaches. And from my corner, I've always felt it would be horrifically arrogant of of me as a Catholic individual or any Catholic institution that's not the Church, to suddenly come up with, with their own idea of what Catholic teaching should be. And again, I think we, you know, we'll leave that to the Pope and, and the Cardinals and the Bishops to, uh, to help us understand what th- those interpretations should be. And actually, it's getting to the point in the United States, yes, we have the freedom to go to any church we want, but we really don't have the freedom to express you know, our religious views in, in public life. No, unfortunately, you know, we, we have taken separation of church and state almost to a whole whole new new level. And, and I'm, I'm certainly not on the public policy side of what the Knights do, but really, you know, speaking as a, as a Catholic individual, I always think of the good things that the Catholic Church does. And I know, you know, we've got all these issues that are going on right now, um, which, which are, are, are real and they're tough, tough stuff. But when you think about the very good things that the Church does in terms of all the, the people that we, we clothe and feed and, and help and, and 
provide health care and, and all the sorts of things that we do, it's really the very, very best. I mean, the, the Knights, for example, last year we gave away probably 100,000 coats to kids. We don't ask if they're Catholic or not. We just know they're a kid in need of a, of a coat and we're there to help. We've supported Habitat for Humanity. We've never asked if the family benefiting is Catholic. We, frankly, we don't care. We provide wheelchairs, uh, thousands every year, wheelchairs. We have a program of food for families. So, again, there's never the question is never, are you Catholic? The question is, are you a person in need, and, and, and how can we help? And, you know, to me, that's the very, very essence, really, of the teachings of the Church and really, you know, what, what Christ left us. So when we do those things, we're at our very best. But unfortunately, I think it goes all the way back to when Kennedy was, was president. You know, religion and certainly the Catholic Church has been getting pushed farther and farther from the public square, and that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, I, I understand the need for separation of church and state, but I think we're, we're getting beyond separation. I think we're now getting to, to silencing, um, and that, that's a pretty dangerous place to be. Well, getting back, you mentioned what what is your job at Catholic? Uh, I'm sorry, Knights of Columbus. Well, my focus every day is managing our life insurance policy. So I have a dedicated team of investors, and we manage about uh, it's a little over twenty five and a half billion that we manage on behalf of the of the life insurance company. Twenty uh, twenty five and a half billion. B with a B. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yep. So we um, we are focused. We offer our members um, life insurance, uh, both uh, whole life and, and uh, term. We offer fixed annuities. We offer long-term care and disability insurance. And our insurance products, there's no variable product offered because we really feel when people are buying protection from the Knights of Columbus, we're going to bear that financial risk. And we manage our portfolios in compliance as we always have with Catholic teaching. And basically what that means is that we, we error, we take out of portfolios that we don't invest in anything that has to do with abortion, contraceptives, embryonic stem cell research, human cloning, pornography, or for-profit healthcare that pays for any of those, uh, those other things. And we look to, uh, to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops to be a guidepost for us in helping to determine, again, what is uh, in, in balance for Catholic doctrine and, and, and what isn't. So we, we are, depending on, on the year, we're the second or 43rd largest life insurance company in the United States. We are the largest Catholic lay fraternal organization in the world. Uh, while we have knights in a variety of countries, we offer life insurance. Our, our financial products are offered to our members in the U.S. and in Canada. And then the Filipino members, we have a, they have an insurance affiliate that provides uh, insurance to our uh, over 350, I think it might even be 400,000 members uh, that we have in the Philippines. How did the Knights of Columbus get started? Can you give us a little bit of the history? Yeah, the, the, briefly, we were started in 1882 right here in New Haven, Connecticut, which is why we're still headquartered there by Father Michael McGivney uh, in a church called St. Mary's, which is really adjacent to the Yale campus. And at the time, there were a number of, of Irish uh, Irish Catholic, Italian Catholics building, the men building the infrastructure around New Haven, and these men were, were leaving was an orphan. So Father McGivney felt it was the responsibility to take care of these widows and orphans and their flock. And by what you would think of as a traditional insurance company, by 1901, we were what you would be considering a fully functioning uh, life insurance company using the actuarial methods for, uh, for providing insurance. And out of that really grew 
this, you know, I, I think I would love to, if Father McGivney can only see now that, you know, we're over a million, 1.9 million members. We're in every state in the U.S., every province in Canada. We're in Mexico, Poland, the Philippines, Guam, uh, Lithuania, the Ukraine, uh, Korea, France, South Korea, France. So we've really expanded, uh, expanded our outreach. And, um, you know, one thing I'm particularly proud of, I joined the Knights in 05, and it was literally right after Hurricane Katrina hit. And we were on the ground faster than FEMA providing uh, loaded uh, uh, debit cards and uh, uh, food and water. And this last, uh, the hurricane that just hit that devastated Puerto Rico, and I know you being in New York, you know, probably have a number of Hispanic listeners. Uh, Our general agent, the, the agent that oversees the individual agents in Puerto Rico, became like the go-to guy for for getting getting things done um on the island after the after the hurricane hit and we were liaising with him to get water and to get food and and to get uh, to get money uh to help the people so i think at the end of the day that's what the knights are about and we provide our insurance and protection products because we want to be able to provide Catholic families a means of protecting themselves at, at, at a time of need. So that's, that's, you know, in a nutshell, that's who we are. We've been, uh, uh, been in continuous operation since then. And, and I'm happy to report even in this current era, we're continuing to grow, not wildly, but we're continuing positively uh, to grow the number of Knights of Columbus councils and indeed the number of uh, Knights of Columbus members. Is that just in the U.S. or is that worldwide? That, that's worldwide. Uh, we're growing faster in certain places. The Philippines remains a very, very, you know, I mean, everyone knows the sort of the Muslim side of the Philippines and not taking anything away from other faiths, but Catholicism is still very important uh, in the Philippines, and uh, we have a, a growing base there. Uh, we continue to, to eke out growth in the U.S. We're growing here, and, and we're we were, have expanded in some of those other territories. The interesting thing is, you know, we get calls all the time I, you know, uh, from other countries, um, and it's really the clergy that sees the good that we've done uh, in the U.S. I think the most impressive thing I've ever heard was actually uttered by, you know, St. John Paul II when, when he was alive and was discussing at uh, Yonkers Raceway. He was saying Mass here in the U.S., and he declared the Knights of Columbus to be the strong right arm of the Church. And that's really the pride that we have. We we don't we want to be there next to Father. We want to be helping in our local councils, uh, helping our local parishes, and being there to not only help Cardinal or Bishop or Archbishop, but to be there to help Father and to help our local parish. And if we can strengthen local parish life and strengthen the church, then that's a benefit. And then you know if we can provide our financial services to help our members, all the better. And I always look at it this way: we provide our members with Catholic product. And the profitability from what we earn goes back to support growth of the Knights of Columbus, our charitable efforts, and our support of the Catholic Church. So if people are thinking about buying our products versus someone else's, and you're a Catholic, I would always say, look, if if you believe in the things that we do and you want us to see us do more of it, um, then if our products meet the the needs that you have, then at least you can rest assured that the profitability from from what we generate is going to go back, in fact, to support things that you believe. And we think that's a great handshake agreement to have with our our membership. Because, again, you may want to repeat this or go over it. You might invest in a company and you may have no idea what all their uh, subsidiaries are doing, and you could be helping people, let's say, you know, whether, whether it's abortion rights or whether it's pornography or things like that. And you may not even know it. Correct. And and we, we work diligently to screen those out and we refresh our list every 90 days. The one I'll tell you that we run into most often, that the, the ones where you have to spend some time are um, 
contraceptives, obviously, you see all over the place. And the other one is in biotech and with some industrial companies, uh, embryonic stem cell research, because in certain cases, you can't, um, you can't develop the devices for, let's say, doing that kind of research in some cases without having been able to uh, be able to acquire uh, the, the, the stem cells, the embryonic stem cells themselves. So, you know, I think we provide our membership so that we want, you know, we want a good Catholic product run in a Catholic tradition and knowing those prof- profitability supports Catholic ideals um, that we want to uh, be able to make sure that we provide that for them. But as I said, I think the other, the o- other overarching thing is that the charity that we do is not just exclusively Italian. Uh, Italian. Uh, it's not just exclusively Catholic. It's, you know, fall back on my heritage. Um, it, it really is saying who's in need and what can we do to help. In fact, I'm involved every year from a, a coat drive that we do here with a, a, a Christian, a local Christian church that helps to serve a local African com, uh, African-American community. And we're there every year and give away on that one day, I know, uh, three, 400 coats, and it's right before Thanksgiving, and we provide gently used shoes that are donated from the community, brand new coats for the kids, we give everyone that attendance a hot meal, and we send them home with, this, with essentially Thanksgiving in a bag that they can, they can cook in their own, uh, own homes to celebrate Thanksgiving with their family. And never once a question of, you know, what's your religion, or are you Catholic, or do you support the Knights of Columbus? It's really identifying a community that, that needs help, being able to marshal the people and the the items needed and being able to get that help to the place where it's needed most. So, you know, it's a prideful thing and I'm, I'm thrilled about, you know, all the, all the things that we do. And and I will tell you that I probably get more uh, being involved with those, those drives and, and, providing that charity, then those people give way more to me than I can ever give to them, even though at that moment they may believe that we're the ones, they're the ones getting the help. Um, we certainly get a lot, of, a lot of psychological reward and benefit by, you know, by doing the work that Father McGivney laid out you know, 130 years ago. Very good. Anthony Mipoli, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Thank you for the work that you're doing through the Knights of Columbus, and thank you to the Knights of Columbus for the work they do. I appreciate it. Thank you for spending the time, and I appreciate the ability to be on your show today. Thank you, Tony. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. 
Frank Milia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500 or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is Professor Timothy Smith, who has a book out about the real horse soldiers. Welcome to Connors Corner, Professor. Thank you. Last year, I think about this time, we had Ed Bars on this show, and, and he was talking about a movie, The Horse Soldiers, uh, directed by John Ford, starring, among others, John Wayne. He said the movie was terrible, and he would have walked out of the picture, except he was courting his future wife, and he decided not to be that impolite. Your book is about the same raid, the horse soldiers, correct? Right. That's correct, yes. What, tell me one thing. What is, is correct about the movie and what is not correct, and, and what are you trying to get across with your book? Well, I named it, of course, The Real Horse Soldiers, kind of as a takeoff to the movie because everybody's heard of the movie. Uh, but what I wanted to do is basically give the the real story behind the movie, and there was a novel and even Dee Brown's book and so on is not just uh, – uh, totally accurate. And uh, so I wanted to give the real story behind it. And in terms of the movie, what's not accurate, I would, I would say the, you know, it's set in the civil war and they got Newton station, right. And that, that may be, that may be about it. Uh, of course the names changed Colonel Marlowe and, and all of that. And the regiments are different and, and uh, they don't pick up a, a blonde, woman and their slave and they don't fight the little boys at the, at the uh, military academy and and all of that a lot of it is cinematic license and and uh put in there for for entertainment value yeah, but, it, but was it was a real fiction. raid and it was it was very important taking aside the, they didn't fight the cadets but they did raid newton station what was the raid because some people may not have seen the film give the background who was Grierson, well, and what was the raid about? Well, Benjamin, Benjamin Grierson was a musician, of all people, um, leading a cavalry brigade in uh, April of 1863, and it all ties into the Vicksburg campaign. Uh, Ulysses S. Grant is uh, at his wit's end, basically, about how to approach Vicksburg. He's tried six different approaches, none of which worked, and so he's basically at the the last straw uh there is no plan b or in this case plan whatever f or g um this is a do or die thing he's going to go below vicksburg and cross the mississippi river and come up behind vicksburg if it fails his career is probably over potentially his life the army may be destroyed or captured 
um, this is this is do or die. So as a result, he um, he incorporates as many feints and diversions as he possibly can, including Sherman back up north of Vicksburg, uh, others as far up as, as Greenville on the river. Uh, but the main diversion, of course, is Grierson's raid that leaves LaGrange, Tennessee, and moves southward through Mississippi uh, to break the Southern Railroad of Mississippi at Newton Station. And that is basically the lifeline for Vicksburg. Uh, but there's more to it than just breaking the, the, the railroad, which they do for a couple of weeks or so. Um, the real intent of the raid and, and results, actually, of the raid is to try to throw the Confederate high command, namely John Pemberton, off of his gyroscope and, and get his attention elsewhere, anywhere else but Grant's Crossing Place uh, south of, of Vicksburg. And uh, he, Grierson will, will lead this raid and pop out of nowhere in, in Newton Station um, on April the 24th and absolutely consume Pemberton's attention. So in that respect, it works like a charm. Now, of course, you, you set the stage 1863. When they go from LaGrange, Tennessee, eventually to Baton Rouge, Mississippi, they're not... Oh, Louisiana. Go, yeah. Louisiana, I'm sorry. This is not friendly territory. No, absolutely not. And how many men did Grierson have at the start of the raid? Well, at the start of the raid, he'll have about 1,700. Um, but part of the way through, he will send one regiment back as a diversion what, what's interesting in in terms of the diversion and so on, um, there, Grierson is a diversion to Grant, but there are diversions within the diversion to divert away from Grierson's raid, too, you know. Uh, and one of those is that he sends um, uh, one of those regiments, the 2nd Iowa Cavalry, um, back to LaGrange in order to, to try to take some attention there and in order to... Um, to allow him a little better way to, to move southward. So as he as he gets through the rest of the raid, he makes most of the raid with about 900 or 1,000 men. How many casualties did he suffer? Because I think that's one of the great parts of the story. Exactly, yeah. Um, I don't remember right off the top of my head, but it's like three killed and seven wounded, something like that. Um, maybe eight or ten left behind, you know, that got sick or couldn't travel or... or uh, you know, just just wandered off, deserted or whatever. Uh, but minuscule casualties compared to how many men he had and how long they're on the march and and the accomplishments of the raid. Now, why was that? Why are so many so few casualties? Yes. Yeah. Well, mainly because Grierson realizes that he is there to damage and divert rather than fight. Um, sure, he could have gotten a lot of attention had he gone down and picked on the the first brigade he he found somewhere infantry brigade manning a, a railroad station uh but that's not his intention he wants to move fast create as much havoc as possible and and then disappear and show up 40 miles away and do the same thing you know and uh he knows if he gets into a big firefight that uh he doesn't have the firepower uh or probably by that point the the stamina uh, among the men or the horses to to fight and uh, a uh, classic example, the artillery battery, Battery K of the 1st Illinois artillery that he takes with him uh, are armed with two-pounder Woodruff guns, two-pounders, not small little six-pounders, uh, much less 12-pounders or any of the larger 24-pounders or something like that. These little two-pounder 
pop guns that uh, aren't going to do much against regular artillery, obviously. But if he doesn't have to fight any any regular artillery and, and encounters only cavalry or maybe some infantry uh, that has no artillery support, then these, these little pop guns will come in handy. And they do on various occasions. What happened in Newton Station? Because I think that, you know, the battle in the movie is very dramatic and everything else. Was it right. like that? No, absolutely not. In fact, uh, it's almost anticlimactic. Um, how it all occurs at Newton Station. He um, Grierson knows how to uh, plan things and when to do things and and so on. And he knows to hit Newton Station at daylight, right right as the sun's coming up, just a little after daylight. And obviously that's been a tenet of military planning forever. You know, at Shiloh or Pearl Harbor or or wherever. Uh, so. He pushes his men all through the night, the night before, and much of the night, the night before that, uh, to get them in in position to hit right at daylight. And the couple he does it in a couple of waves. And the first wave hits Newton Station and realizes a couple of trains are coming. They find out from some of the people that a couple of trains are coming. So they uh, is is really anticlimactic. He he uh, takes over the the telegraph office to make sure no messages get out. And then his men basically hide. So that the the trains will come on into town, and when they do so, one after another, they they basically take the trains, and then they come out into the open, you know, and start damaging and destroying rails and and um, all that kind of stuff. But no, there is no uh, Confederate uh, troops that arrive on the rail cars and form up and charge down the middle of town and and all of that. And really, just about as quickly as it starts, he has his men, uh, you know, damaging and destroying military property. They don't they don't mess with anything private. But um, just about as quickly as they start, they sound recall and head out, and uh, and and they're gone. Uh, a lot of the damage, you know, here we hear about the damage to Newton Station and and all that. Really, the target, um, a battalion or so, is sent farther to the east to damage the railroad bridges, big, long railroad bridges over the Chunky River, just east of Newton. So that's really where the major damage to the railroad itself comes. Uh, but, of course, there is some some infrastructural damage at, at Newton itself. Now, does your book go into the uh, butternut gorillas? Uh, yeah, Serbia and the, uh, and the scouts. I, I do um, talk quite a lot about them because they're an integral part of the story. Uh, I had to watch myself. One of the major sources for the the book, of course, and the raid is Serby's own account, and he wrote like five or six different accounts, one mm-hmm. long article after article in the National Tribune, and and wrote several different books about it and, and so on, and, you know, obviously when when he's telling his story, he's the, he's the center of attention, and he's the main character, and so I had to really be careful uh, that I didn't want Serby to be the main character in, in this book, you know, so I had to watch, you know, what stories I told, what anecdotal material I used and, and so on, because I didn't want it to be just a biography of Serby or, you know, Pearson's Raid is seen by Serby or, or something like that. Uh, but yes, I do use him and, and others quite extensively in dealing with the scouts. And, and I hope I have put it, uh, put the scouts and the butternut gorillas basically in the right context within the raid itself. Now, for the audience out there, they may have no idea what we're talking about. Who were the butternut gorillas? Well, they were a group of about nine scouts that um, were basically uh, tasked with doing all scouting uh, for the brigade about four or so days in, four or five days in. 
uh, Grierson realized that, you know, we need, we've, we've got scouts out and flankers and all that, but we need a dedicated body of really, really smooth talking slick scouts that can schmooze their way into, you know, homes and, and with Confederate officers and, and all of that. And so they dress in, um, at sometimes Confederate uniforms, mostly in homespun butternut colored, uh, clothing that they get from the, from the locals in the area. And uh, they pass themselves off as ministers and deacons and and uh, civilians, and and they find out a lot of information. Uh, they find out where the plantations are. They find out where the food is, and and they find out where the enemy is. And they keep Grierson apprised of any threats and possibilities. And they really are a, are a key part to um, to this whole operation. And a lot of these guys were born in southern states. Well, some of them were. Uh, Serby himself was actually born in Canada, of all places. Um, there's a little bit of dispute. When I looked at his compiled service record in, in uh, the National Archives, at one point in the record, it says he was born in Ohio. And uh, another point, it says he was born in Canada. And I think the um, the, the common conception now, perception and, and accepted theory is that he was indeed born in Canada and in fact talked to one of his uh, descendants and who still lives in Canada as a college professor up there in Canada now. It's interesting. Now of course Grierson, how does the raid end up? Well they reach Baton Rouge uh, they, they hit Newton Station on April the 24th and the whole intention then is to come out into the open they, they're trying as stealthily as possible to get to Newton uh, but then they pop out of nowhere and cause all this damage on the railroad which obviously is going to attract attention with the telegraph and, and all of that uh, but then his intention, of course, is to disappear again. And everybody, Confederates and probably most of his troops as well, think, okay, we're going to turn around and go back north, go out the same way we came in. But he doesn't do that. He goes south, which uh, he continually does exactly what he what the Confederates think he won't do. And uh, he meanders his way westward first, trying to link up with Grant. But unfortunately, he doesn't know exactly when or even if Grant has crossed uh, the Mississippi River. He thinks he may be a little bit late, so he hurries forward. In reality, he's a little bit early because he had hurried so much. Um, and so the link up there is never made, so he decides, you know, I can't just sit still. They're going to catch us if we do, so i got to get out of here. So he heads to the, the nearest Union uh, conclave, and that's Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he reaches there on May the 2nd, all tired down and and uh, but, but victorious in what they attempted. Now, what did Grierson do, I think, the audience might find this interesting. What did he do after the Civil War? Well, he uh, he wins, a, I believe, a major generalship uh, in the Volunteers. But when everybody leaves the Army, uh, the Volunteer Army, of course, you lose your, your commission and all of that. And um, a lot of these professional officers, you know, West Point officers and so on, who were major generals in, in the Union Army during the Civil War, would be busted back to major and lieutenant colonel, you know, uh, in the regular Army. Uh, Grierson actually goes into the regular army and uh, becomes colonel of the 10th United States Cavalry, one of the Buffalo Regiment, uh, Buffalo Soldiers Regiments out west in uh, primarily Texas. So he commands that uh, for much of his career and retires on over in the 1890s. We're over 150 years from the raid. Why is it worth studying and why is it worth mentioning these guys? Well, uh, obviously it gets a lot of attention, popular history in terms of the movie and, and the, the novels. And uh, D. Brown, you know, wrote the, the book on it, and, and uh, everybody knows Bear My Heart at Wounded Knee and, and all of that. 
but in terms of, and this is one of the things I try to do in the book, put it in the proper context of the Vicksburg campaign. And so I think, you know, the, the real importance is its effect on the Vicksburg campaign itself um, and Grant's, you know, maneuvers and, and crossing the river and the diversion that it made and, and all that. And, of course, there are arguments among buffs and historians and everybody else about the importance of the Vicksburg campaign. So whatever you think is, you know, the if you think Vicksburg is the crushing blow to the Confederacy and the, the classic campaign in the war, um, then Grierson is going to hold a, a very high uh, role in that. Uh, you'll have a high opinion of it. If, you know, like many think, you know, Vicksburg takes second fiddle to, to Gettysburg and all that, you may not you may not think it quite so important. But um, depending on where you place Vicksburg, um, I think there's no doubt that uh, Grierson plays a huge role in how the Vicksburg campaign develops and who wins and who loses. Okay, well, the name of the book, The Real Horse Soldiers, Benjamin Grierson's epic 1863 Civil War raid through Mississippi, the author, Professor Timothy Smith. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Thank you for having me. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death, and it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. In 1948, the U.N. published the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, stating that, quote, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. And it also states, everyone has the right to recognition everywhere as a person before the law. Isn't it time for nations to pay attention to these statements when they craft their policies on abortion? This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Again, if you want to see Tim Smith in person, 
He's going to be at the 3 West Club on April 8th, 3 West 51st Street. If you want to call for reservations, and you have to call in advance for reservations or I'm going to get in trouble, the phone number is 718-341-9811. 718-341-9811. The cost for non-guests is $60. You get a three-course meal at a class club, the 3 West Club. So if you're interested in Civil War history, you're interested in the horse soldiers, come out and see Tim Smith. Speaking about the horse soldiers again, Beth had a couple of great uncles in that unit we or whatever. Did. We spoke about it earlier. Um, my my direct grandfather was John McKithen. And um, I don't know. I don't know if everybody knows this, but if you were a fighting age in the South, you were conscripted, just like people were um, drafted for the Vietnam War. There were a whole bunch of people in the South that did not believe in slavery. And there were several branches of my family that were in that category. And my great, great granddaddy, John McKithen, and his and two of his brothers, Billy McKithen and Stephen McKithen, were unionists. My ancestor was older and he moved um, essentially out of the territory with his family and um, raised cash crops because Pa, his dad, had said, you know, you're the good businessman in the family. Um, You go and you make money. And when this is all over, make sure that you come home and you can provide homes for whoever is left. Now, how sad is that? But Billy and Stephen McKithen were with Grierson's um, cavalry and they received pensions at the end of the war. And um, they were Confederate scouts for Grierson that got them through the swamps and, and everything else and helped them get safely from LaGrange, Tennessee to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I think the term is butternut gorillas. That was their term. <laughs> when we first did the interview, Tim Smith was not he was nominated and eventually he is going to receive the Fletcher Pratt Award. On April 8th. When we first did the interview, it was discussed, but he wasn't nominated and he didn't receive it. So that's another little part of Civil War history at the Civil War Roundtable, the Fletcher Pratt Award. And actually, I got interested in the Civil War when I was very young. Somebody bought me a comic book, you know, or gra- I guess they would call it a graphic novel or whatever. What well, wasn't a novel, a graphic history magazine. And it was about Gettysburg. And that was one of the things that first got me hooked into the Civil War when I was a little boy and couldn't read that well, but was able to read this comic book about uh, Gettysburg. And that was by Fletcher Pratt. Well, we're we're setting up, we're working on a new Facebook page for the Civil War Roundtable of New York. So um, give us a little more time and we're going to put Fletcher Pratt as one of the primary people and you can learn all about him. We're going to be do seminars next month or in April, actually, yeah should be we're going to be doing seminars April 9th, 10th, 11th. So Great. if you want to catch up on estate planning elder law, check out one of the seminars. Matt's going to announce them in, in a few minutes. And you can go on our website and see the seminar schedule. So if you have any questions about how to transfer your house to your kids, how to avoid probate, how to save on estate taxes, death taxes, listen, it's in my DNA. I don't want your kids to pay taxes. I want you and your family to get I want you to keep everything for your family after you're gone. So if you want to learn how to do this stuff, go see us at uh, connorsandsullivan.com. We have a lot of places that you can hear um, the radio. Right. Chris? Now, I, I 
tune into YouTube the other day, and I was even surprised at how many places we have Connor's Corner interviews. So, Mr. Cardani, I mean, who do we have on there? We have a lot of your interviews from the past, some of the best ones, as a matter of fact. And let's do it. Let's go with some recent ones. You have the Mooches interview, the one with Anthony Scaramucci on there, Phil Robertson, and of course, Willie Robertson. Plenty more, too. And you can also uh, check back and hear your conversations with great historians like Ed Bars and, and several other ones. You can we find... have some newfies, don't we? Alan Hawko. Yep, Alan Hawko. Uh, we have plenty of actors as well besides him. We also have the Joyce Randolph interview, if you remember Hooray that was on a Trixie. few weeks ago. You know, and I guess how long before we get Don Maynard and Pete Lamons up there? <laughs> well, if we don't have them on now, they'll be up very, very soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've we've doing a lot of reminiscing about 69 because in 1969, beginning of 69, the Jets won the Super Bowl. And in the fall of 69, the Mets won the World Series. So it was a very good year for us Met Jet fans back then. We haven't had a year since like well, that. Well, okay, but wait. And there were, wasn't there a basketball thing? Yeah. Well, I was not a basketball fan. So, yeah, I mean, but- the Knicks beat the, the, the Baltimore... Baltimore, all didn't all three of them beat Baltimore? Baltimore? Rockets, what was it? Yeah. Didn't they all... The, the, the baseball beat the... <laughs> Baltimore football beat Baltimore basketball beat Baltimore. You talk about a bad time for Baltimore. Yeah, but they were all in either the Super Bowl, the World Series, or the NBA playoffs. All right. So it wasn't that bad a year. They and plus Baltimore. Baltimore won the Super Bowl a couple of years later, and uh, the Orioles won the World Series. Okay. Uh, okay. Year or two later, still, the Orioles had a great run. They were 69, 70, 71. They were in the World Series three straight years. Now they they lost two of them, which hurt their place in history. But still, they were a great team. You can't. It's hard to go back in time and figure out how the Mets beat the Baltimore Orioles in four out of five games. <laughs> but one of the guys who helped on that was Gary Gentry, who's going to be on in the next couple of Hooray! weeks, who won Game Three. Hooray! He pitched six and two-thirds shutout innings, and Gary Gentry will be on in, in a couple of weeks. So listen, Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. We're hearing David Kincaid going back. Beth? Bye-bye, everybody. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. The voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered, we are gathered here on hallowed ground. The voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground. Around to sing this soul away. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors and Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors and Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, April 9th at the Greenhouse Cafe, 7717 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. At Buckley's 2926 Avenue S in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn on Wednesday, April 10th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. And at the Montauk Club, 25 8th Avenue in Park Slope, Brooklyn on Thursday, April 11th at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.